Ready. There we go. Well, if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis, uh, if you don't have one and you want to follow along, there's a box of Bibles there or on the windowsill by you. We're going to turn to Genesis 15. So in order to experience genuine peace in your life, it's necessary to come to a place where you no longer rely on your self-sufficient abilities, your tendencies, uh, your techniques, patterns, knowledge. Uh, you, you probably won't give those up easily. Uh, of course, God has a way of uh, helping you, whether you want it or not. And um, I think why we hang on to them so tightly is because we've relied on them all of our life. We've gotten into a pattern. We've, we've found things that sometimes are successful, and sometimes we just keep doing the things that aren't successful because we don't know anything different. But know that God may allow the weight of adverse circumstances to become greater than the strength of your flesh. Keep that thought in mind. We're going to read through uh, a little bit of Abraham and Sarah's story. If you're there with me in chapter 15, begin with verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord, God, what will you have me? What will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my home is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. He believed in the Lord, reckoned it to him as righteousness. Keep that in mind as we go through today's message. Verse 7, And, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and, and cut them in two and laid each half opposite of the others. But he did not cut the birds. And the reason he cut them in half is because that's how covenants were made in, in the early Jewish life. They would cut these animals and they would walk through between them and that was this uh, process of securing a covenant or agreement contract between two. Verse 11, the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But 
I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. 17, it came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. So, this is a powerful story because it starts out with what we just read. God makes a covenant with Abraham. And he's, he's hearing this covenant, and he's going, I don't see how this is going to happen. I mean, I don't have an heir. How, how am I going to have so many heirs, I can't even count them? But he believes, and in the same way, you know, we hear things from God, and we just sometimes need to believe. We don't know how it's <coughs> going to work out. We can't see how it's going to work out. But a little bit of trouble came into the scene here. Now, this is chapter 16, verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now, behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will attain, obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife took Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to the husband Abram as his wife. Abram went into Hagar and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. You know, we do this too. We will understand what God has told us, what he's promised to us, and we're impatient. It's not happening, happening as fast as we want or when we want it. So we do the same thing. Hey, I'm going to help God out here. i got a plan. And that's what they did. They had this covenant and from God. And it was sealed by you know, the, the, flaming oven, the flaming torch and the burning oven going through the, the pieces of the animals. It was, it was sealed. Abram understood this. And yet, they couldn't wait. They, they were getting older. And they were thinking, this isn't going to happen. This is impossible. How could this happen? So, Abram and Sarah suffered the adverse circumstances which came about in time. They had to wait 25 years before this covenant happened. And, and in their age, they were getting older so they, they suffered from those physical circumstances as well as the fear that the covenant wouldn't happen. And even more so, the adversity and animosity that happened between Sarai and her, her handmaid, Hagar. They, you know, Abram believed, but they felt like they had to help God be God. They had, had to help God carry out His covenant, His promise. And I think we do that too. 
Uh, I know a lot of times I struggle with that, you know, because I'm naturally impatient. And I figure, well, I know how to do that. I'll just get out and do it. So we, we wrestle with that. That's a, something we all have to, to deal with. And I, and I think when we, when we kind of try to take God's um, things in, in our own hands and our own abilities, basically we're letting the flesh rule our life instead of God's spirit. So there's this paradox of the flesh. We, you know, what's the flesh? This is one of those spiritual terms, kind of challenging to understand. So in the flesh we say, thanks God, but I can do it myself, right? Or, God, I'll do it. you got too many other things to worry about. I'll just take care of it for you. And then sometimes it's out of our pride. Hey, God, hold my beer. Watch this. <laughs> well, all of these things are wrong, wrong. You know, we, we should not have this attitude and take this up. Because God wants to bring us to the end of ourselves, to the end of our self-sufficiency. He wants us to realize that we need Him, that He is God. So the Bible calls this mechanism for servicing our own needs the flesh. We see we use our flesh to meet our perceived needs apart from Christ. <coughs> and that's <coughs> where the problem is. We, we recognize that. We know that we're doing that. And strangely enough, sometimes when we do that, I mean, it seems right. It looks right. In fact, some people admire it. In fact, sometimes it kind of looks spiritual. So we often try to prove to God that we are holy, that we do it through our spiritual works and things that we say and do. We want to prove to him that we're holy. And that's these spiritual works that are part of the flesh. We're... we're doing it out of our self-will. But again, it's God's purpose to bring us to that point where we realize that we need Him, that we're, we can't do it on our own, that we need His mind, His will. We need Him in every situation. Many Christians, as you know, believe that, erroneously believe that God helps those who help themselves. Amen? I, I'm sure almost every one of us has said that. Uh, or, or that God will bless us if we do our part. Right? I mean, but both of these are wrong. Both of these are wrong. Um, turn with me to 2 Corinthians. We're going to go through about a half a dozen scriptures here. So just hang in there. 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, chapter 12, verse 9. I think it's important. Um, and helpful to us if we actually read it instead of just listen to me repeat it. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. So Paul is writing this and he's he says, 
you know, he was praying that God would take the thorn out of his flesh, and he said he prayed three times, and God responds. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, that thorn in his flesh. And God has said to me, Jesus has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, this is Paul's response, I will boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. This is just flipping things on its head. It's not what we're used to. It's not the way we naturally think. This is a a way that we have to come to think. This is a, a way of thinking by faith, letting the Spirit lead us. Because these adverse circumstances that Paul was having to go through, because you know Paul was really on fire at this point. You know he was going out and and um, you know planting churches and just seeing all kinds of miracles happen. So what was going on here? God was keeping Paul weak so that he would not exalt himself. Amen. That's a blessing because pride can get into us and just take over and just destroy us. We know that pride goes before. So the New Testament is all about God himself doing the work through a person who's totally yielded to him. Make sense? I'm going to repeat that. The New Testament is about God himself doing the work through a person totally yielded to him. So if you catch on to that, what is our? we should be focused on being yielded to him. Mm-hmm. Not trying to prove God we're holy. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is why, um, maybe it's my personal pet peeve, but when we, you know, get all prettied up and dressed up and holy up to go to church, like he's only there at that place. You know, God is everywhere. He's at your house too. He sees what you wear at home. He sees what you say, what you do, what you listen to. So you're not fooling anybody just coming here all, you know, good and holy. (laughs) All right, so there's an argument we always hear when we talk about grace. And that is, um, it's grace is not licentiousness. In other words, because of God's grace, it's not anything goes. You know, he's not teaching us that. So we've got to wrestle with this a little bit. You know, we, we can't say that because of grace, God doesn't care about how we live. And what we do. Yeah, he, he cares. But he's, he's grace-filled. And I love that uh, that example of grace and mercy that somebody gave this, this morning. So, if you'll turn with me to Romans 6. <coughs> Romans 6. We're going to begin in verse 14. We think we went through this this last week, but here's the point. We need to discriminate between the spirit of liberty from that of licentiousness. We should cherish the first and avoid the last. We should 
We should cherish the spirit of liberty and avoid licentiousness. Are you there with Romans 6, verse 14? For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Can I get a witness? What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, come on now, admit it, and you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So walk with me through this uh, Bible logic here. We're saved by grace through faith, right? Not of anything we do on our, our own. Our behavior can't save us, and it can't unsave us. That's a hard one to swallow. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on which side you are. Right? <laughs> um, when we're saved, we have a new identity. We are not the same person. We are a new creature. Um, we struggle thinking that we aren't saved if we sin. You know, when we commit a sin, oh, God doesn't love me anymore. I don't have eternal life anymore. I'm not saved anymore. We struggle with that. It's not true. <laughs> you know, when we're born again, we're saved. He's holding us. But understand this. There's a difference between sin and practicing sin. You know, when, when we're born again, we're still going to sin. They've been forgiven already, but... In our relationship with God, we confess our sins. We, we want him to know, we understand, we agree. We heard his voice, said, you know, that wasn't right. And he says he will forgive us and cleanse us and purify us. And there's a difference between sin and a sin identity. We have a new identity when we're in Christ, when we become born again. Um, if we struggle accepting grace because we know that we sin, there's hope. If we don't think we sin, or that our sin isn't sin, that's hopeless. You know, 1 John, read 1 John. Um, God is all about grace. He knows we sin. We just have to come to the point where we admit it. And And it's not a problem. He welcomes us in. He wants us. He says, come to me. So the obvious question question becomes, how could someone become more obedient and less sin-directed if we have to let Jesus do all the work for us? Does that question make sense? I mean, the flip side is we think, okay, well, I got to be holy, remain holy. I got to get holy. And we're saying, no, no, no. It's all about Christ working through you, in and through you. 
And we say, well, how does that work? That, that sounds too easy. That sounds like it's letting me off the hook. Well, this is the uh, crux of the matter. We develop our love for Jesus, and the Holy Spirit works in our heart and in our behavior, the heart's behavior. Is not that opposite of what we normally think? We think we got to get all cleaned up and righteous and holy and, and quit sinning, and then God will love us. But he's saying... I love you. Let my spirit dwell within you and I'll work it in and through you and things will change. Amen. I mean, that's great news. Great news. I remember years ago you were talking about dressing up to come to church or in the past I see in Pastor Mark do sermons where his pants got holes in them. <laughs> hey now. <laughs> we don't need to be gossiping about me <laughs> so let me say this grace results in salvation sanctification which is becoming more holy growing in our faith becoming more mature in our faith and our knowledge and wisdom of Jesus Christ in good fruit you know a good tree bears good fruit through the Spirit, grace results in that. And an even-if kind of faith. Even if God doesn't do this for me, He doesn't answer this prayer, I will worship Him. That grace results in that. Because it's Holy Spirit-driven. It's not of our will. It's not of ourself. So again... The New Testament's a story about God himself doing the work through somebody that's yielded to him. And that's what we need to be doing, giving ourselves up and yielding to him. Okay, next up. So I want to talk about um, repeating, not reading. That produces error. Repeating, not reading. In other words, what I'm saying is uh, sometimes we hear things that sound kind of spiritual, sound kind of holy, sound like they should be in the Bible, kind of like those couple things we talked about earlier. You know, God helps those who help themselves. I mean, it sounds like it should be in the Bible, but that produces error. Um, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10. You should be in Romans. Just go to your right. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. All things, oh wait, no, that's 23. 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you may be able to endure it. Now, is he saying he's going to take you out of the situation? No, he's saying he'll be with you so you can endure it. Why do we need to endure it? Life lessons. We endure things to learn. Amen. Amen. 
So we can draw closer again. So, you know, God doesn't tempt us. He does test us. But he tests us for a reason. To perfect our faith. To give us an enduring faith. A persevering faith. So that we'll have its perfect result. Circumstances that are not of him should be dropped. Just ignored. Uh, Let go of. Let go of those. Not endured. Okay? So, as that relates to what we're reading about, if, if you're being tempted, you know, we need to drop that. We need to turn to God. Because that temptation is coming from Satan. We're not to endure the sin temptation. We need to just cut it off right away. Call out on Jesus right away. Take that thought captive to Christ. So, as long as your abilities are able to rise to the challenge that we're given, you'll never understand that you don't need your own strength, that you need His strength. And so that's what we should pray for. When we feel weak, we need to ask for His strength to work in us. Not, hey, God, make me strong so I can do it. In fact, He wants you to become weak so that He can express Himself through you in every situation. If you've prayed for God to use you, don't be surprised if trouble comes your way. <laughs> right? Because he, he needs to break us so that you know, we understand it's Him working in us. So God's purpose in, in life is not for us to completely rededicate ourselves with our, all of our abilities, but that we should give up all hope in self. We sometimes try to live for Him, live for Him, when He wants us to live His life through us. There's the difference. So to... To ask God to help us live for Him, uh, we often do that because we're telling God what we're going to be doing and we want Him to bless it. Mm -hmm. Amen? But that isn't what God desires. He isn't interested in what we can do for Him. He's interested in what He can do through us. And that's where this this thing about grace and works or grace and self-sufficiency comes into play here. Um, you know, the law is all about you know, us trying to prove that we're holy and we failed at it miserably. Thank God for grace. So law will cause a person to say, Lord, help me to do the things you want me to do. Or help me keep your rules. But grace will cause a person to say, Lord Jesus, I'm abiding in you and you and me express your life through me. In a way, any way that you desire. Any way that you desire. I can safely tell you, I did not ask God to put me here. <laughs> Somehow, I found myself here. Adrian has this uh, great uh, line when she's talking about her life story is, I married a, a mortgage broker. 
<laughs> I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't even. Man. Uh, she had no idea. We had no idea. She she calls herself the reluctant pastor's wife. <laughs> That's great. So um, turn with me to First Thessalonians. So you just go to the right. Oh, half a dozen books. First Thessalonians five. We're going to read verses twenty-three and twenty-four. Again, some more good news. Boy, we got all kinds of good news today. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body preserve, be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he will also bring it to pass. Totally about God doing things through us not us doing it for him, on behalf of him, uh, helping him out with his plan. Good works are things that we do for others, not things we do for ourselves, or not things we do to show God how holy we are. Good works are aimed at others, helping others, loving others. And... Ever thought about this? Wouldn't it be just sad that you uh, spend your life trying to make an apple pie for God and you show up in heaven and you got this apple pie to present him only to find out he doesn't like apple pies? I mean, that's what we, we do. I mean, not intentionally, just we think we've got to do, do that for him. All right, so I want to finish up with a little bit of a review, but some just some faith facts. Faith facts. The first one is, God loves me. God loves me. God loves you. God loves me. Do we really grasp that? God loves us. Because so often we think we have to earn that love. We have to qualify for that love. But he gives that to us. He offers that to us. He loves us. Next one is, Christ is my life rather than Christ in my life. You see the difference? Christ is my life. It's not just in my life and I have other things in my life. No, Christ is my life. And when we get a grasp on that, any of our troubles can really kind of pale in comparison. Uh, in other words, we don't make Christ number one. Rather, he is our life. The difference. Um, turn with me to our last scripture, Galatians 2.20. So go back a couple books, Galatians 2.20. I'm going to start with 19, actually. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live. 
but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what being a Christian is all about. That's what being born again is all about. Christ living in us, that he is our life. He's everything. Paul even said in in Acts 17 that in Him, in Christ, we live, we move, we exist. We don't live for Christ, rather in Christ. So, I just want to remind us, I want us to just really try to soak it up that we're... we're, um, living out of the union with God, our relationship with God, letting Jesus live through us. And when we do that, you know, the right and wrong issues will resolve themselves. It's it's a mystical thing, and it's a supernatural thing, and don't we want that? Um, Because in our own flesh, we, we can't be holy and pleasing to God. It's a supernatural equation. So I, I want to remind you that um, grace results in salvation, sanctification, good fruit, victorious living, and even if kind of faith because it is Holy Spirit driven. Um, the doing of our faith is the natural outcome of Christ living in us. So welcome Christ into you. Um, it, and just Focus on Him in us. Uh, Colossians 1.27 says, The Christ in you is the hope of glory. And that's, Jesus is going to return in all glory, and He's coming to gather us up. We're His bride, like we um, looked at in communion. All right, well, praise God. And uh, let's just gather around and pray for one another.